Like Firefly and Stalker having a standoff, these are the days of G.I. Joburg. Take it away, boys. And with that, let's launch into episode number 15 of G.I. Joburg. 15. <laughs> We're back, everyone. And this time... Uh, we've got a little bit more credence to the fact that we are G.I. Joburg, because the majority of the members of this podcast are, in fact, in Johannesburg tonight. Q sign Q on. Woo, woo, woo. Joburg's awesome. <laughs> right. Right. Sounds like a war zone. It is a war zone, baby. Both Paul and I are in Johannesburg, and this time it's Rob broadcasting all the way from Cape Town. Hi, Hi Rob. Cape Town's nice and cold tonight. The topic on our agenda this evening. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we'll be... Thank you, Chewbacca. Okay, today's exciting show will have us talking about our favorite year in G.I. Joe. Now, G.I. Joe has been good enough to give us a few great decades of some of the best toys ever made. Take it away, Steve. Well, I think the best way to do this is similar to our G.I. Joe aircraft debate. Each one of us is going to try and promote a year that we thought encapsulates G.I. Joe best and has probably got the best grasp of what G.I. Joe is and, and what, what we really love about G.I. Joe. We could very easily cut and paste our favorites from different years, but if we were to isolate it down to a specific year, which one comes out on top for each one of us? And I'm very pleased to announce that none of us agree on a year, so this will be quite a heated debate indeed. But before we get on to that topic, Let's do our usual segment. Anyone got anything new this week or month? I should be receiving my premium format Baroness from Sideshow any day now, either tomorrow uh, or the next day, without trying to give the show too much of a time code. It should be the day before my birthday or on my birthday. Haha, <laughs> the show is close to my birthday. Fun, yay. <laughs> Other than that, uh, it's, just, it's been quite a video game-filled month for me, mostly. We just had Rage, which is a massive uh, video game convention here in South Africa. My company, Celestial, we just uh, released Toxic Bunny, our first game in uh, quite a while. So that was really cool. That went off really well. Picked up some Ninja Turtles from the show. Yeah, the so-called the 25th anniversary Ninja Turtles, if you can call it that. And that's probably the only relevance this has to G.I. Joe. Yes, <laughs> that they are a remake. Otherwise, uh, today, Steve and I went on a shopping, exploring toy shop mission and found some very cool-looking core vehicles, of which I'm considering one or two of. But I found a nice PTE buggy for like a hundred bucks and that was amazing. The Chenoweth, that sort of desert vehicle, that nice buggy with a M2 Browning mounted on top, grenade launcher mounted on the bonnet or hood. Yeah, it's a nice piece, nicely weathered and it holds G.I. Joe's exceptionally well. I'm glad that they still are available. And with regards to those core vehicles, it's the age-old tank that core has been rattling out since, I suppose, 1987. And a more recent 4x4 vehicle, which is perhaps a little bit over-designed in terms of armament and hatches and exposed engines in, in the hood. But uh, good fun, and I'm sure Paul would find a home for it very quickly. Unfortunately, uh, core vehicles, as I've come to experience, have oversized seating, which I can't say I love. Well, it's good for 25th anniversary, guys, or modern era-style G.I. Joes. I mean, you know for sure that you can definitely get a roadblock into those seats. Dude, I think I can get a Ninja Turtle into one of those seats. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Leonard. I have absolutely nothing to report on the G.I. Joe front. I mean, I've picked up this and that, that and this, but, you know, this uh, drought is hitting us quite hard. I mean, with the uh, G.I. Joe action figures on a halt, we aren't really picking anything up online or in the wild. We're kind of holding thumbs and waiting, just like the rest of the community, for the next slew of new figures. 
And it looks like Hasbro's making good on their promise to not release any new product till 2013. I mean, you know it's bad when you consider buying that Creo G.I. Joe stuff. On that topic, what do you guys think of the Creo G.I. Joes? You know, I, I've just recently seen Ninja Turtle Lego. Uh, they announced it at New York Comic Con. It's two great flavors that taste great together. You know, Lego and Ninja Turtles. And for me, G.I. Joe was replaced by Lego for a bit uh, as a kid because... Stop being able to get vehicles, but at least with Lego, you know, you could get vehicles, you could make exciting stuff, you could cram characters in there, and you could go mad with your imagination. I would have preferred it maybe if Lego and G.I. Joe were friends, but I know Hasbro owns license. I'm very surprised. I didn't expect them to be as cool. Uh, it was great to see characters and stuff that are instantly recognizable in their Creo form. The vehicles as well, some of the vehicles. Uh, a bit sad on uh, some of the reuses from other lines within the Creo range being used as G.I. Joe vehicles, but then having authentic G.I. Joe vehicles like the Ram and the, the Trouble Bubble. Those are great to see in, in sort of a Lego format. I, I like that. Why do you lament the fact that G.I. Joe is being brought in by Creo? I mean, there's really no two ways about it since Hasbro is responsible for Creo, whereas Lego's always been... I don't know, what are they, from Norway? <laughs> no, no, Lego is Lego. I just find that Lego has been very good at handling other people's licenses. A lot of people obviously familiar with Star Wars and how well that's been represented in Lego. Spider-Man's been well represented in Lego, albeit for a short period of time. The Harry Potter stuff, the Lord of the Rings stuff that's just come out now, they've been very good with licenses. I um, think uh, Creo's been very good at handling the Alley Viper, handling Cobra no, that Troopers. Stuff, no, that stuff's great. Looks legit. I mean, no, it looks seriously legit. I Duke mean, looks like Duke, and Roadblock looks like Roadblock, and the Trouble Bubble and the Fang look like Trouble Bubbles and, and Fangs. Yeah, we'll see. Like we'll see what happens with it. The Transformer stuff was just a bit disappointing originally because you had to build them in their different transform stage. You couldn't build a Creo Transformer. But then the minifigures were awesome. Yeah, but that's the whole thing. It's such a weird line in that there's inconsistent. These, yeah, it's completely inconsistent. But there's these really like great shining moments to it, and one or two dampers, you know, that actually do have the power to tear the line. Plus, I don't think we're going to see it in stores here. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think not, but yeah. I think it's reignited my interest in building toys in Lego and the knockoffs of Lego. Like, mm -hmm. I, I find myself walking through the toy shop and, and looking at Lego Avengers sets and thinking, yeah, I wouldn't mind picking that up. That'd be a great fun to, to build and have a little Lego Iron Man swooping around the room. I mean, the aesthetic is hard to ignore. It's it's beautiful. It's Lego. It's always going to be timeless. And, and to see recognizable franchises being absorbed into the magic that is Lego. During a, a G.I. Joe drought, I'll gladly switch sides to Lego toys. No, I think a catch comes in with um, having to import it for us, but I'm quite keen. Well, uh, the fact that it's marrying building blocks and G.I. Joe... Wow, that's two wins. It's better and than you said it. Two great tastes that taste great together. No, the thing is, it, let's put it this way: at least it's better than the bolt to rule concept. That that. <laughs> what? Are, did you ever see that? Sadly, yes. Yes, it's a, that's it's a stain on my mind. You see, like that is a really good example of how not to do it. I think Creo is in the uh, is going in the right direction. I'm very excited. Um, I think I'm going to have a lot of fun trying to get as many of my favorite Joes in Creo form. And the fact that they are compatible with Lego and the fact that I do own quite a bit of Lego already. Wow, I'm actually getting really excited about these Creo Joes now. I'm going to go and find a pre-order. So you would get all the blind-packed figures, I suppose. I probably, yeah, damn, yeah, totally. Mm. Totally. I would pass on the Dragonfly, which doesn't look a hell of a lot like a Dragonfly. And... I don't know, the Cobra Armored Vehicle? I think they might even have the gall to call it a Hiss, though they really should know better. <laughs> this is Hasbro. They've been making Hiss tanks since 1983. Shit, they've been making the same design since 1983. Yeah, to call that blue hunk of APC nonsense a Hiss tank. Sacrilege. One round sacrilege. Well, the 2010 Hiss tank doesn't look anything like an original Hiss tank, should it? 
there are design elements that are shared. In Dude, it has tracks. Well, so this, it's the, the same. They're yeah. trying something different. I mean, I think that that's interesting. It, it might bring in new people. It's, it just points to the inconsistency of the line. To go with the retro aesthetic on some things and then to kind of branch out on others, it makes me think that just like with that boat that comes with Cutter, they absorb designs from perhaps another line of Creo concepts and just threw it into the G.I. Joe line. Oh, anyway. Well, that's worked before. I mean, if you look at how Transformers originally started. Yeah, Micromen. Never know. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. It could be interesting. I mean, the fact that there's a cutter, that's impressive in and itself. I mean, the fact that uh, Quick Kick comes with a fudge bar. Hey, fudge hey. bar. Have you guys seen um, also the original G.I. Joe uh, from the Adventure Team, G.I. Joe's? Uh, oh, yeah. he's, got a, he's got a figurine of himself. A Creo man with yeah. flocked hair. Yeah, I mean, how cool is that? That's um, that, that kind of thing is awesome to me, and... Uh, just the range of characters. I mean, you can see that they're obviously taking the G.I. Joe fans very seriously. Their accessories seem spot on. I yeah, mean, that's the other thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love the little uh, Cobra Troopers having the, the guns that they have, sort of AK-47-esque. Oh, man, the fact that a teeny tiny little Creo torpedo not only comes with his harpoon, but also a little knife. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, you've got Duke, and he's got a pistol, and Roadblock, and he's got a massive multi-part Creo gun. Mm-hmm. It's terrific. I think we should rock out. I think uh, the three of us should get together and order some Creo Joe stuff. Yeah. Well, there'll be certain items that we avoid, like the Dragonfly and like that armored... The aforementioned, thing. but like that base. <laughs> when it's good, it's good. good. My Toy Horizons, I think, are all uh, casting toward the big push, like getting another big ticket item. You know, I've ticked off the flag... I think it's now time to venture into outer space. So I'm holding the candle for the Defiant. Just need to find the right one, the right price, the right opportunity, and uh, got some prospects. So watch this space, G.I. Joe Burgers. I'm also super excited for a Soundwave, Masterpiece Soundwave, and now they've released Ravage and Rumble as a separate pack. I'm there like a bear. I'm super happy. That's something um, I think I'll only sadly see next year, January or February, when it's supposed to come out. But got some other cool stuff to tie me over till then. Uh, let's get into our topic. Well, before we do that, I'd like to tell you guys a little story about a little discovery I made <laughs> while researching this topic. You know, I like to go through old yojo.com, especially with the new format, which just looks fantastic and it's very easy to use, and just flick through and look at figure designs or, or new characters, new lines, new waves that I hadn't been aware of previously. And it always tickles me to read the file cards of some of these new creations because, well, to be perfectly honest, they're not always very good. And in that vein, I'm going to direct your attention to this gem. Okay, he's called oh, Rock Viper, but <laughs> it's actually the Range Viper figure. The Rock Viper is surtitled as a Cobra attack unit. Special training, Arctic and Wilderness Survival, Mountain Climbing, Bungee Jumping. Woohoo! He's a specialist bungee jumper. But wait, it gets better. Rock vipers scramble up a mountain crag as easily as the rest of us can stroll across a deserted street. And they do it so stealthily that it's almost impossible to detect their movements. The higher the mountain, the better they like it. More altitude means more room for pranks to a rock viper! Exclamation point. They think nothing of slicing a fellow viper's safety line or dulling the point of his climbing pick just for laughs. Of course, laughing would be easier if they weren't at 1,700 feet elevation and gasping for air. Laughter echoes a long way up, or down. But it's no laughing matter for the G.I. Joe team if the rock vipers capture the high ground. 
OMG. <laughs> These guys are psychotic bungee jumper range slash rock vipers. I mean, they're just killing each other off. And they call it a, a prank. No wonder the cover never gets it done. They're no. too busy, like, screwing each other over. Now, not only is this laughably bad detailing the activities of an elite Viper detachment, but it's also not even factually correct. They say that they would be laughing if they weren't at 1,700 feet elevation and gasping for air. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Paul, currently we're at about 5,200 feet elevation. (laughs) These people need air. These people need air. So Rob, how's how's the air down in Cape Town at uh, at sea level, mate? It's it's really fresh. I'm amazed you guys are still alive right now. Yeah, <laughs> and gossiping. <laughs> We're able to laugh and play pranks and uh, not die. Oh, I just cut Stephen's line. <laughs> well, oh, I no. I dulled your climbing pick. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awkward. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, (laughs) fellas, let's get into it. Our favorite, Ultimate G.I. Joe Year. In order to keep score of this debate, I think the best way to do it is to break these things down into categories. Our first category relates to the figures themselves, the second category to the vehicles, the third category to the balance shown throughout that year's toys. That might need a bit more explanation. What I mean by balance is some years had one enormous G.I. Joe item, a lot of smaller G.I. Joe items, and then Cobra being shunted off with a boat and a quad. For example, 1985, where G.I. Joe had the flag and a few other very cool items, and Cobra had a ferret and the moray. Another element of balance is the figures themselves and whether or not you're seeing enough characters being introduced or just faces minions with no tangible Cobra characters. G.I. Joe always had characters, but sometimes these characters were third or fourth tier, and uh, for a line to show good balance, it needs to have the whole gamut of cannon fodder right through to top command stuff. The fourth item under consideration is the presence of a big ticket item in that year, and the fifth is best described as the balance between science fiction and science fact. Whether the line under consideration border on believability and plausibility, yet still have that science fiction feel, or is it just plain bizarre? Is it a buzzball, for instance, or a battle barge? (laughs) So points to be deducted for vehicles or figures that err on that side of the fence. So let's kick it off. The first year under consideration would be 1983, and that's my pick. The very next one would be... That would probably be mine. My choice. I chose. For me, (laughs) what I've chosen is 1986. It's going to be what I'm going to be talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wise guy. How about you, Paul? I'm going to be rocking 2010. Wow. Yes, I know. It's it's a bit of a crazy one. Ooh, ooh, it's in the future. It's in the future. Paul, the the, the wild card. The wild card. Yeah. All right, so let's crack open this debate with our opening round. Action figures. Ding, ding. All right, 1983 is an interesting year because it introduced the swivel arm battle grip. And as a result, all the straight arm version 
G.I. Joes and Cobras released in 1982 were then re-released, and so were the vehicles, now including swivel arm battle grip drivers and operators. So, <laughs> this is a bit of a cheat, because not only do I get to consider the range of vehicles and figures released, strictly speaking, in 1983, but also the previous year's figures and vehicles that were re-released. Now, focusing on the figures themselves, we have a slew of primarily G.I. Joe characters, but at this early stage, it managed to successfully cover all the major bases without leaving anything out. So the figures are very consistent and establish all the key players. The Stalkers, Scarlets, Hawk, Snake Eyes. G.I. Joe had first-tier characters introduced in this wave, and also specialists like Flash, like Zap, like Tripwire, Snowjob, also the aquatic specialist Torpedo. So G.I. Joe had a great deal of variation introduced in this year, and that's why I'd say 1983 had the best figures. And I'm not talking from a technical standpoint, because let's face it, obviously, this is early on in the line, and they were at times rather crude. But I don't think that necessarily puts a dent in the amount of fun that you're going to have with those figures. I think being vintage and covering a broad spectrum of, of disciplines, the figures were far superior to any later years. And this carries on into the Cobra Legions, where you essentially had all you needed. You had the Cobra Commander. You had his minions, consisting of two divisions, the rank-and-file trooper and the officers. So you had that distinction. You also had Major Blood, who was a conventional military commander type or mercenary soldier that had been brought onto the Cobra ranks because of his experience and leadership qualities. And you had their arms dealer, Destro, a fantastic figure. So you had the command structure in place and the faceless minions. And out of those faceless minions, you could very happily have mountaineering Cobras. Who needs a rock viper? You could have... Cobras that fired anti-tank weapons. Who needs a heat viper? You could have Cobras that worked well in nighttime conditions. Who needs a night viper? So basically, throughout the figure line, 1983 had absolutely everything you would need. And did so with distinction. Because the aesthetic of G.I. Joe was set in those formative years. And everything since then has been somewhat of a deviation. And is laudable for most. But for me... I love the purity of the original 13 and their faceless nemesis, Cobra. All right, so that's my bid for the figures. How about you, Robbie? So, 1986. What I like about this year is that, in general, there are a lot of new faces, and it kind of, you get to grips with a new Cobra at that time. Because here, once again, we have an awesome leader. It may not be Cobra Commander, it's a pencil. And we have the cool guy that controls Dr. Mindbender. And... We even have, yeah, a standard Viper in there. And I think, other than that, there aren't that many other sort of, like, Cobra dudes. But with that Viper and a bat, you kind of set your Cobra forces ready to go and mash Joe. And then on the Joe's side, we have one of the coolest-looking Hawks out there. Hawk version 2. I agree. For me, this is, like, the definitive look for Hawk. And supporting him, he has a whole bunch of technical team. Dalton, the mainframe, he has a medic and lifeline, and, and he has a good good bunch of soldiers that he can take out there with him. So in that way, we have a lot of nice... Cobra has a good team, G.I. Joe has a good team, so they, they're ready to go head-to-head. 
And there's even nice variants as well. They decided to sort of recolor some of the figures um, of the Joes. So you have you have a choice. You know, you can have mainframe and gray, or you can have sort of pink pants. <laughs> You're referring to the Special Missions Brazil set. That's correct, yes, which is kind of <laughs> silly because they don't really match properly. There's no consistency, but that's okay. Dude, and, <laughs> what happens in yeah. Brazil stays in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised none of them were wearing huge feathers. <laughs> Maybe that's an accessory that they never told us about. And, yeah, and there's a, you even get a couple of Dreadnoughts in there, Xandar and Zorana. We can ignore those. And probably the coolest thing about 1986 is the mail-away figure, the fridge. <laughs> he just adds like, this wonderful flavor to your line and to your play. We are able to have this awesome figure who's just different from everyone else. And yeah, he feels like he shouldn't be there, but he is. And he's a brother, and he's helping Roadblock out. <laughs> What's he helping Roadblock out? What is it, in the kitchen? Because yeah, bam. he's helping him out in the kitchen, yeah. He's the French. <laughs> I hate to do it. He's right, though. He is the French. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks, Rob. <laughs> He's getting mad. He's getting mean. He's breaking the line for the G.I. Joe team. That's right. It's William the Refrigerator Perry. The fridge is destroying G.I. Joe. And you can get a free fridge. Here's how. Collect five fridge certificates or call the number on the certificate and the fridge will tell you how to get in on the action with only four certificates. There's a $1 handling charge. See details on specially marked G.I. Joe packages. Watch out, Cobra. Fridge is coming through. Go, Joe! Okay, but you you kind of quickly glossed the um, Dreadnoughts aside. Do you have some qualm with the Dreadnoughts, Robbie? Uh, no, I don't really have an issue with the Dreadnoughts. And the nice thing about this is that that also creates a third group within here, in a way. Because, I mean, you have Mikey Wrench in there, you have Zorana and Xandar. The Pink Brigade. And then also you have Thrasher, which is kind of cool. So you have this third group that I think actually lends an interesting new dynamic to play, if if you're focusing on playing with the toys, which I think is quite cool. And in general, there's a consistency in the looks, especially the Joes. They're usually using Manny Green, Sci-Fi, okay, he's bright green. (laughs) They look like they belong together. Like, this is a team that works. Like, they look like they're meant to be together. Yeah. And they seem to be an update, really, of the 1983 roster. Yeah, that no. could be right. Yeah. And You've also, got your nice breaker. Guys, they don't look like shit, like the 1983 guys. Like, like, these are figures that I actually want to take out and play with. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> I love you, Rob. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel very strongly about playing with Destro. It's that shiny, cool helmet. And there's nothing that really kind of stands out like that in the 1986 line. Well, that's the coolest thing about it. They don't have to stand out together. They work well together. Mm-hmm. I love this year, actually. It's a lot of eye candy for me, personally. Some great figures in the line. And great characters. Beachhead. Uh, Beachhead's in there. Iceberg's in there. Hawk's in there. Lowlight's in there. If you care, Lifeline is in there. Sci-Fi, which was my first G.I. Joe, is in that line. Yeah, the Pink Twins. Wetsuit's in there. I mean, Wetsuit's very cool. Um, also, uh, like you guys were saying, he's a great replacement. I think Wetsuit would later be replaced by Deep Six. Yeah, but in, in turn, Wetsuit was replacing Torpedo. And That's correct. perfectly honest... Torpedo didn't need to be replaced. No, no. We, let's do some quick comparisons here, Rob. I mean, Torpedo over Wetsuit or Wetsuit over Torpedo? I would say Torpedo. A black Wetsuit. <laughs> Looks like a Navy <laughs> a, Seal. Uh, yeah, whereas... 
I don't know. Wetsuit's kind of wearing those like knee-high socks and short sleeves. I don't know. He looks like he's just going recreational scuba diving. Let's introduce our third uh, year, Paul. The future. <laughs> the future. <laughs> or um, the recent past, but yes. The big thing is for for GI Joe for me is that uh, I've always loved the line for the articulation. That's one of the the, the primary things that I've loved about GI Joe um, and the designs and who the characters are with the file cards and all that. Now, series uh, twenty six according to YoJo and um, twenty ten as a year. There's a lot of like cool stuff and there's a lot of weird stuff, but the best thing about it is that some of the the figure designs are are right up there. And in terms of characters and balance and all that. So there's four Snake Eyes just in this year alone. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know. I think that's not too bad for, for a Snake Eyes year. There's usually quite a few. Oh, wow. Yeah. Only four Snake Eyes? I know, right? I mean, the bumper year. And, my, okay, let's be fair. There were two big box hits released. But this year was great. Uh, what has happened is I recently just got back into G.I. Joe. Well, when I say got back into, I have had, I had, had access to the figures. And this was the line that sort of um, has permeated my G.I. Joe collection up until now. I mean... Uh, this was probably the most exciting line since uh, the 25th anniversary stuff for me. A lot of great characters, a lot of favorite characters. For starters, I really love the snow job from this line and the beachhead. They are standout figures for me. Dusty is very cool. Finally, a duke. I'm not embarrassed about owning a really fantastic snake, guys. Not as cool as the one that would follow, but still good enough. We have beachhead, we have duke, we have Ricondo which is a new face for the line. Uh, and here we've got a Dusty, sort of remodeled Dusty with a great futuristic desert gear. And now I'm going to get into why this year is very important to me. This year is kind of the G.I. Joe figure designer's way. This is them saying, okay, listen, this is how they feel G.I. Joe should start looking um, in a modern sort of way. So there's a lot of nods to like old school stuff and old school coloring, but they're trying to really move forward with the parts that they have, reusing certain parts, and then with the stuff that they're remaking, they're going forward with modernizing it. You know, if you look at characters like Beachhead, Beachhead's got... A lot of guns in his uh, packaging, but his web gear is really cool. He's got a lot of modern trimmings on him. It looks great. It's a great figure together. Duke as well. Also, I love this figure. It came out with some great weapons, great aesthetic, great sculpt. A lot of the sculpts, a lot of the ideas are good. Firefly in this line is cool. It's a reinvention of one of my favorite characters. Ali Vipers, Jungle Viper, the Zartan in the series is fantastic. There are some like eh, moments in the set. Arctic Destro is from this series. I don't love Chrome Face Cobra Commander. I don't love Topless um, Storm Shadow much, <laughs> to be fair. I don't like this Ninja Snake Eyes, this Ninja like Commando action feature Snake Eyes. It's version 53 for, for those that want to reference it. All the vehicle drivers are actually very cool, even though I don't have the Awe Striker from the year. Uh, oh, and I don't like the, the red on the Snow Serpent Officer. But yeah, so far, a great line. I love the, the mail-aways, the exclusive. Uh, I'm, I'm a Quick Kick fan. I'm a Spirit fan, so it's cool to see their modern sort of retake. So yeah, all in all, mostly a good line. I'm just not so hot on the convention exclusives. But then again, that's just because I don't really care. And as much as I like Sergeant Slaughter, um, I can live without the figure. And then, yeah, the Resolute Battle Set came out in this line, which has also got its own sets of pros and cons, but one of the best roadblocks has come out of that line. For me, one of the best flints, one of the best scarlets, uh, Sanzo head sculpt, and this would be, for me, this would be the first cool stalker to be released in the line, also to be complemented by an equally awesome Cobra assortment with a very cool Cobra Commander, a really awesome Destro, and a really, really fantastic Zata. Plus, um... <laughs> Dock and Shipwreck and Arctic Gear, which are great cash-ins and surprisingly weren't as bad as I thought they would be. I can never look past the non-functional holster on all the Resolute Joes. Yes, that's one of the cons. <laughs> it just hurts them so much. In an age where it's almost stock standard that everyone comes with a holsterable pistol, these guys are a bit of a throwback. 
they do feel a bit uh, bad. Yeah, they do feel like a, a bit ancient in that regard. Also, just something I wanted to mention that I didn't mention before. Although 25th anniversary pretty much set the trend on new articulation for these Joes, I feel that the Pursuit of Cobra is where they sort of really nailed it. There's a good balance in terms of the articulation. Let's remove the Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes with the ninja features out of the equation. And also, <clears throat> Ricondo with his neck yeah, with issues. These, with his neck issue, yeah, which is... It's there. It's not that bad, but it, it is there. You do notice it when you're trying to do cool stuff with the toy. But aside from that, this is how I like G.I. Joe lines to be. They're full of accessories. They had great accessories. They have great articulation. And the articulation, it felt like this is the first step of them moving forward, which, as many of you would know, in 2011, they would with the what we like to call the cool snake eyes um, on the side in G.I. Joe Berg and with figures like Lowlight, who would also have some fantastic articulation, especially in places like the wrists. Well, too bad that isn't the year you chose, mate. Sorry. Yeah, I know, but I'm just <laughs> putting it out there. That's why this year for me is more important than that year. So 2010 was the stepping stone to 2011. Yes, it was the like stepping stone for me in terms of the future of this line. This proved to me that, wow, this G.I. Joe toys and stuff are going somewhere really awesome, which is why I'm so pissed off with the, the retaliation line. But then isolating 2010 as a year unto itself, you feel that it has everything you need from the figures? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, especially because these are the figures I, I mess around with the most. These are the ones I play with the most. At Duke, the Ricondo, Beachhead, Dusty, and Snake Eyes. Well, yeah, they're all quick. Like They're all easy for me to get my hands on. And at the moment, I'm currently playing with the Stalker, which is not exactly the same one from the box set, but he's the evolved version. But that was my go-to Stalker for a long time. And the only reason I don't mess around with the Snow Job too much is because he's got lots of gear. That's just because he's finicky. Oddly enough, my vehicle drivers get a lot of playtime for me. I'm not smart. I know, old white art and double clutch. Yeah, this is actually a really cool year. <laughs> Who is your standard Cobra Trooper out of this year, though? My standard Cobra Trooper would be my Alley Viper. Yeah? You don't yeah. feel like it's perhaps over-specialized? Ah, you know, I do, but then also, like, I managed to get five anti-vipers out of this year. That, that was great for me. You know, I put them all on the Fury, which also came out this year, which I, I'm going to get into later, so I don't want to go too crazy with that now. But it's nice that there's some variance in the way you dress your Ali Viper. Yes. Either giving him the classic helmets or the, the new helmet. Fritz style. The helmet. kind of gear that you can give them. They don't all have to carry the same guns. They don't all have to wear the same web, web gear. gear. They, or flak jacket. It almost feels like they're a special squad now, like, and that they somehow under Firefly's control. It's just cool because Firefly himself has got that, that awesome backpack and that creepy helmet that predator sort of presents to him he's very cool mm. and, and this was the year that they introduced these sort of geographically specific play patterns yes city strike beachhead jungle whatever duke <laughs> yes well wait for it arctic snow job ooh. but ooh. sadly the the arctic destro is actually kind of cool in a lot of ways but he just misses the mark on so many things i actually don't own one Sad. Uh, maybe I should one day actually get my hands on one. He's quite a hectic peg warmer. Most people, when they go overseas and they ask me, like, when they go into a shop and they go, wow, dude, we just found these, like, Arctic Destros. Do you want one? And I'm like, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Very gracious of you, but thank you. Yeah. But no. Yeah, it's just one of those. Whilst everybody going overseas is just going to bring me an Arctic Destro. So. You've got uh, your minions. I'm, I'm well connected. <laughs> Moving on to consideration of our three years vehicles. I'm going to weigh in with the fact that uh, 1983, once again, saw re-releases of uh, 1982 vehicles, now with improved driver articulation. So you saw the old favorite flavors like the Vamp. You also saw things like the Jump, now being released with a Silver Pads Grand Slam. Items like the Mobat, or with a swivel-arm battle grip version of Steeler. So you've got these classic box fillers and box tickers, I should say. But in addition to that, you have an exciting slew of new vehicles. 
1983 expanded G.I. Joe's vehicle capabilities by including a helicopter. The Dragonfly. Wow, 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 wow. What an impressive piece of vehicle. Not only did it have the slickest, coolest spinning rotor feature, but it also had a winch that could be reeled in and came with the most iconic and most enduring G.I. Joe pilots, that being Wild Bill. The line also introduced what was essentially his second seat man or his gunner in the shape of Airborne, which was clever and a, a very intelligent use of a single carded figure to augment a vehicle because, of course, it had two seats. You needed that uh, second seat filled, and you needed it filled by a specialist. Airborne was actually indicated as being a helicopter gunner on his, his file card. Anyway. Because children are that discerning that they're just like, oh, he's a, he's a gunner for a helicopter. I have to put him in the back of that thing. Well, that's a very uh, interesting point to raise, Rob, because whether or not children were that discerning is almost immaterial. The action figures and their vehicles and associated paraphernalia back in 1983 was so high on the suspension of disbelief that as an adult looking back over the blueprints, over the box cuttings, over the file cards, these were well-written pieces of, of work that have stood the test of time and do still seem legit, even in the eyes of an adult collector. And that's something that has kind of been lost over the years. It was a benchmark set in 1982, in fact, and there's been a slow drop-off since then. But if you compare those original blueprints and the decals and the file cards and the depth the team creating these toys were prepared to introduce in terms of the technical details, it's really unsurpassed and so fantastic. Made for such a rich backstory to this equipment. Really made you feel like you were collecting this plausible arsenal. These were more than just mere toys. So, getting beyond the Dragonfly, which, to my mind, will always be a premier aerial piece from the line, you've got a fantastic missile tank in the form of the Wolverine, and the rather um, unique choice for a driver, who also came with a very unique write-up in terms of a file card. She's a very contradictory character, our cover girl, and one that introduced an interesting line that, sadly... G.I. Joe Cannon never explored, but uh, in your own playtime, you could very happily explore the backstory that is this beautiful woman who happens to be a tank operator, Courtney Krieger. In addition to those, you have fantastic, unique items called the Pack Rats. Programmed Assault Computer slash Rapid All-Terrain. And these were precursors to what we know of as drones. I mean, these were very clever little inventions introduced as early as 1983 that were remote-controlled flamethrowers, missile launchers, and machine guns. And they just look fantastic. They give the line a level of uh, a broad spectrum that perhaps wasn't achieved in later years. And were used with devastating effect in the Marvel comics. I really enjoyed their introduction as a first line of defense against the Cobra onslaughts on the G.I. Joe Pit 1. We've got another fantastic item. And uh, one that is rather modest and often overlooked, but really a fantastic piece. The APC, which not only was a functional vehicle and one much needed for the G.I. Joe roster at the time, because let's face it, they needed a vehicle that could move them all in a pinch and operate as their armored personnel carrier, but it also floated. So it was amphibious as well. And hey, if you want to transport your Joes, you can strap them all in, every single one of them released up until that point, and carry your APC using its carry handle. So it fulfilled a lot of functions, and that level of forethought is something that is missing in later years. Then, a premier piece of the line... The Sky Striker, XP-14F. And one need only look as far back as episode 12 of G.I. Joburg 
to hear me wax lyrical and get really worked up about why the Sky Striker is possibly one of the finest items ever produced out of G.I. Joe, and one of the reasons why this is the greatest toy line ever created. On the Cobra side of the fence, you might say the pickings are looking pretty slim, but Cobra had exactly what it needed to carry out its operations at the level at which it was operating back in 1983. They had me to fund him, dude. I rocked up in 1983. Shut up. Oh yeah, Paul arrived in 1983 on the 24th of October. October. (laughs) But Cobra had the high-speed Sentry, which is a very compact and very deadly tank, one that could be easily concealed and operated by a terrorist organization in a pinch and with great success. They had the Fang helicopters, which are minuscule, once again able to operate on a very low scale, easily concealed, but devastatingly well-armed. And the most fascinating piece of equipment of all, the Snake Armor. Snake standing for System Neutralizer Armed Cloaking Equipment. Okay, the acronym's a little bit strained. But let me tell you a little bit about the snake. Not only is it essentially a precursor to a bat by having removable plug-in, plug-on weapon ports, but it had the added bonus of functioning as armor, which you could actually put a figure inside. It also functioned as an extension of the brainwave scanner, in that you could put a G.I. Joe figure in there and... All the while he's inside the snake armor, he is being brainwashed into operating as a Cobra agent. That's right, they covered that in a comic. Wasn't Snake Eyes in one of those? Snake Eyes and Quinn were brainwashed into aiding Cobra by being encased in snake armors. So it's a three-pronged assault. Because not only are you dealing with these heavily armed and armored walking battle suits that can either protect Cobra friendlies, or be utilized to use G.I. Joe agents against their own people, you're adding layers and layers of kind of collateral. You're stopping your opponents from from being able to to return fire because they don't want to hit their own guys. So there's a psychological element to the snake armor, which is, once again, devastating and very, very, very Cobra. I can imagine Destro was very proud of his creation. And I do assume that it was Destro who introduced them, because sadly, Dr. Venom, who was used to introduce them in the Marvel comic run, never got a figure at this point. And of course, also Snowjob just comes with his pimping little ride. The huh. Battle Bear, which is a cool toy. It is a cool toy. It's a very James Bondish sort of uh, snowmobile. Mm, but that retro aesthetic just can't be beat. And once again, the level that they suspend your disbelief with the engine covers, with the blueprints, with the, the technical detail, it's so engrossing. And once again, something that has been scaled down on in uh, recent years. Robbie, 86's vehicle complement. What do you got to say? Well, I think 86 probably has a really good selection of vehicles and a really cool thing for Cobra as well is that they finally get their own base, the Terradrome, which is amazing. It's this gigantic, or I don't know, maybe it's gigantic. It's quite big, like base for them to just like attack stuff and to be out there and just like killing Joes. And in general, I think this year is very much like an air-based year because Cobra and Doberth sort of have their vehicles, the, the seminal Night Raven, the the Conquest, the most amazing just vehicle ever, I think. One of the, my favorites, the, the Tomahawk that's in here, which means that the Joes are just, they're able to get out there and just do what they have to do. And they have a couple of land vehicles, like Havoc, the heavy articulated vehicle Ordnance Carrier, which is uh, quite a classic by Cross Country. And that, that's an amazing big vehicle. And there's a nice variety of large vehicles and smaller vehicles, you know, like the LCV Recon Sled and Triple T. Yeah, there's just a good selection of stuff this year. And they all seem to complement each other and suggest a certain play style as well, which is what I quite like about it. Also, um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's some really cool premium pieces here. I mean, I know one of your favorites, although you haven't mentioned it, is the Cobra Hydra Slate. <laughs> Definitely, I was, I was getting to that. Like, Cobra is, it seems this year they kind of, they're dominating the sea because they yeah. have the Devilfish and they have the Hydra Slate, and Joe just doesn't have any way to respond to that this year. Yeah. So, I mean, I will readily admit that, yeah, Joe is not prepared to meet them. Rob, uh, the Devilfish is a G.I. Joe vehicle. But it's is not it? like, it might as well be Cobra. It's ridiculous it's... and why isn't it? He drives that. <laughs> Wetsuit? Really? really? Okay, well, then I take it back. Well, no, the, sorry, I think the packaging has Beachhead driving it and Wetsuit okay. kind of hanging well, on to the I side. Well, then I take it back. Actually, this line is very well balanced. There's a lot of air vehicles, so play should be in the air mostly. They can meet each other on the ground, Cobra Stunt versus Havoc. And then, yeah, Devilfish versus Hydra Sled. So <laughs> they're really trying this year to just sort of like let you go anywhere. This is like the great G.I. Joe animation and movie vehicle line because the Cobra Stuns, the Conquest, the Night Raven, the Terradrome, uh, Serpenta's Air Chariot, the Havoc, the Firebat, the Tomahawk. These are vehicles you definitely see uh, in the movie. The Thunder Machine. Did you work that out yourself, Paul? Oh. <laughs> it just so happened the movie was released. And, well, yeah, was but I mean, like, animated in the year. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's what's interesting. There's a lot of cohesion with this line. It's all stuff that you see. I mean, they're really using that movie to sell these vehicles to you. But they cooked up some cool stuff, and, and it shows you what having a, a very strong intellectual property can do. You know, if you have a video and game or a movie. It's fun later on as well, you know, especially like with the Dreadnought stuff, you know, like. That stuff's crazy. Of other things like yeah. the Skyhawk and the Fang. Bam the Ram. They start to think outside the box, but they still have very, like, real-world application vehicles that you can put in there. Oh, dear goodness, Robert. And, of course, there's the absolute wildest thing ever, the Dreadnought Thunder Machine. Yes, which is so cool. I'm, I'm a big Thunder Machine fanboy. That I'll concede is cool, because it doesn't really care that it is outlandish. Being outlandish is its thing. But then you look at the vehicles that are trying to be legitimate military vehicles for the Joes and Cobras... And you're left with things like the Cobra Stun and the Havoc. Now, compare that to the Cobra Hiss and the Mobat. And there's really just no, no point of comparison. You've got this tricycle that splits apart. It's just bizarre and completely impractical. And probably, you know, as, as, as uh, thin-skinned as a Hiss tank might be, I mean, the Stun is there's no armor to speak of. I like the flags. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is... A light scout vehicle at best. Certainly not a frontline vehicle. Well, I mean, I believe it stays on its three wheels rather well and doesn't kind of topple over onto its side. But it's just a liability. It's really kind of sold out on a gimmick. Similarly with the Havoc, I'm not entirely sure what it does. Shoots missiles backwards. Shoots missiles backwards. It deploys a one-man scout sled. It has the most ridiculously exposed driver. And seats, or lies, I should say, two people face down. But okay. damn popular for some reason. Well, popular because it was, you know, released prior to the movie and saw huge exposure in the cartoons. Yeah, but I mean... Similarly with the Triple T. Once again, a horrible design that uh, saw massive exposure and also, I mean, was probably bolstered by the fact that it came with Sergeant Slaughter. It's, it's laughable. Literally. I mean, additionally, the, the recon sled is nowhere near as good as the Ram. No, the Ram actually does kill that. So, 1986's vehicles are certainly an attempt at rebooting the line and reintroducing items that had already been fulfilled by earlier vehicles, but I don't think it surpasses them. What do you say to that, Robbie? I think they're trying different things, and I think that's quite They're just trying to explore new things, and I think there's, yeah, as we'll eventually get to it, I think there's more of a sci-fi focus on this line, probably the earlier lines. But what I like is that everything stands on its own. It 
can all be used and played with. Well, if you compare it to 1983, you have the twin battle gun, you have the little pack rat things, which you can't move around, can't really do much with them, because there's nothing that's going to tow them. So, like, half the line in 83 is completely useless. You can tow them with the Wolverine? The whirlwind battle gun can be towed by the Wolverine, the Vamp, the Mobat. It's also very much a focus on protecting Joe against the air. Like, there isn't much, like, going on on the ground assault like front. The Wolverine is designed as a surface-to-surface missile launcher. But once it runs out of missiles... <laughs> okay, well, where do they keep uh, ammunition on the Havoc, wise guy? I mean, those massive cannons on top, firstly, cannot move side-to-side, side, whereas with the Wolverine, it has a beautiful 360-degree movement and uh, vertical pivot. The Havoc... You better hope that they don't throw, what, more than, like, six things at you? Twelve oh. things at you? Okay, well, you know, if, we, if we're talking all-out war, I'd say 1983, once again, comes out on top. It's just having better motor pool. You've got a jeep, you've got a tank, you've got a missile tank, you've got towable weapon systems, you've got all those bases covered. You've also got programmable weapon systems that are autonomous, so you don't even need to risk your, your troops. Then why even bother playing with the troops? I suppose that's lucky in a way, because, I mean, the troops are so ugly anyway, you might as well just play with the pack ranks. But on a vehicle-to-vehicle comparison... I'd say the Hiss knocks the stun out of the park. Oh, wow. The Wolverine mo- knocks the Havoc out of the park. And the Sky Striker knocks the Conquest out of the park. And you know what, guys? I'm about to commit sacrilege. But I'd say the Dragonfly knocks the Tomahawk out of the park. Ooh. Bam! I know, I think the Tomahawk is cool. Like, listen, I think the Dragonhawk's amazing, but I'm Dragonfly. a big fan. Oh, Dragonfly. No, I call it Dragonhawk. My bad. Tomahawk is awesome. I'm, I, I have to say that I'm behind the Tomahawk. The whole way, but that's just because I really love that helicopter. But in all other respects, 1983 beats 1986 in the vehicle complement. I don't know, dude. There's a Raven in 1986. And there's a lot of yeah. stuff in 1986 I really like, but that's just me. That's a personal opinion. I really like the Raven, and I really like the Tomahawk. Like, but does, does the... I really like the Thunder Machine. Okay. Yeah. No, no, that's me. But that's like me. And I think, listen, this line was designed to be sold. I mean, this was like a smart bomb on children. Okay, they released the movie, they put all these things on the movie. God, I think they even sold Hydra Slayers, and those things are horrible. <laughs> I do think, I do think 83 has an edge over this line because of that fucking Hydra Sled. Sorry. Because that thing's, and the Recon Sled is also pretty bad. The two sleds. The two sleds are really bad. The Devil Fish is cool, it's a small boat, whatever. And the Triple T, yeah, it's not that amazing either. <laughs> but, yeah, I like this line. I actually personally think that in terms of quality of the line, I think they're quite tight. I think they're quite tight. And I know normally I can be uh, quite sit, I can sit on the fence a little bit th- some things, but I think it's fair to say they're tight. They're both very good lines. I want to talk about my vehicles now. It's going to go with what I don't like. I really hate the Rip Attack vehicles. But on the plus side, it's really cool that the Rip Attack vehicles come with fully competent figures. The, the actual figures that come with them are fully articulated, very minimal gear, obviously, but they're great toys. The Snake Eyes that came with the Jetstorm cycles, actually pretty cool. I don't have these. I've done research. I've looked them up. I would never buy them. I can't support something like Rip Attack anything, as many of you guys will know. I don't like to put my money into things that I don't like. Um, it's simple as that because I don't want them to make more shit. It's cool that this line has got an All Striker. I still don't have an All Striker. I don't like the All Striker. I like what the All Striker represents, and that's why I've got myself a very cool PTE Dune Buggy, which I think is better than the All Striker, with the exception being that it doesn't have suspension. So these are just some of the things I don't like in this line. I don't hate the Cobra Ice Cutter. I just don't see it in my collection. And I don't hate the Doom Cycle. I actually... I really like the drive for the Doom Cycle, but I couldn't be bothered. Uh, Adventure Team is not my thing, so I couldn't care. And I don't have a Ross in driving distance from me, and I won't pay some of the prices that uh, the guys are charging me to buy the, the Cobra Flight Pod, which is a trouble bubble with a red dome. And this very cool Ram Cycle, which is 
just pretty much like some other colored whatever they wanted to call it. The, the RAM cycle, ROS exclusive, I couldn't care. But let's talk about the gems in the series. And this is what I think is cool because it's kind of weird uh, for the modern line. This is where we'll see some of the best vehicles in the modern line. And the last time we'll see great vehicles in the modern line. Uh, the, the repaint of the Cobra Fury is a great addition. Um, I love that they made the launcher an optional thing. It's not like I have to use um, the, the stupid rocket launcher. I can actually remove it, which I have. It's a feature, so I like that. That's very cool. It's a great vehicle. It was a great vehicle when it came out originally. It's a great vehicle now. I put all my Alley Vipers on it and Firefly commands it, just like the, the, the catalog says. But hey, I have to agree. It's a good idea. I don't have the Mecha. I'm actually stupid. I'm, I'm looking at them now. Again, I'm thinking maybe I should get the Steel Marauder, the Joe version of the Mech. Because actually, it's, it's pretty cool now that I'm looking at it. I love the His Tank in this line. This is a very cool reimagining of the His Tank. Uh, it's great to see them try something radical and different um, and very cybernetic. I love it. It's, it's futuristic. Once again, this line um, introduced a very futuristic element. Same with the Ghost Hawk. The Ghost Hawk really is... It's a, it's a Skyhawk with a different canopy and a different propulsion system. It's got a rocket launcher. Once again, I've removed that. I also like the fact that they, this line kind of tries to be modular with the vehicle, that you can share weapons across the line. Very cool. The Wolfhound, which is a repaint or sort of repackaging of the Snowcat. The Snowcat, as many of you know, it might have its failings as a vehicle, but it's one of the coolest G.I. Joe vehicles just for being the Snowcat. It comes with white art, which is a pretty decent vehicle driver. Listeners who've uh, been with us for a while know that my opinion of the Warfound or Snowcat is that it has no failings, but... Anyway. Yes, no, I mean, no, of course, I mean, that's the whole thing, it's it's that cool that you don't really want to admit to certain things in it, and we we can always chat about it some other time, but I love the Snowcat, I think it's a great vehicle, I wouldn't have bought it otherwise. I also love that this line has got some very high quality vehicle drivers, uh, the Cobra Hiss, the, the, uh, the Hiss driver is awesome, great uh, use of the Cobra Commander body for some stuff, awesome figure. Um, I love the fact that it comes like a little magnum and the way they did his armor. He's just great. He's a good um, Frank and Joe. And I thought they did that well. Double Clutch. Clutch has never really had a great release. And he does deserve it. He's a very cool character. And I like what they did. Um, the Vamp 4x4 in this line. A new, completely new G.I. Joe vehicle. Kicks serious butt. I love this vehicle. Uh, once again, remove the, the, the shooting rocket launcher if it's not your flavor. And modular. I mean, if you ended up buying two or three of these or if you... Um, have access to being able to buy things like the Gatling gun and some of the machine gun parts loose. I think it's a great Joe vehicle. Little compartments. Awesome, awesome, awesome lineup of vehicles for this year. And sadly, not something that has been seen again since this line. Uh, we've just seen a repaint of the Vamp. We've seen a, a red repaint of the His Tank. Uh, or we're getting a re-release of the Striker once again for this retaliation line. Or they have released one. Cobra would go on to release a VTOL, which doesn't quite have the panache that it should have. You know, a.k.a. can only carry one guy. There's a few failings in the lines after this, so I think this is a great line for vehicles. I think, if anything, for the modern Joes, this is probably one of the best for vehicles, aside from having, you know, re-released, you know, Rattlers and Bangs and stuff. I'd say the biggest failing of this line is it has no aerial component. Yes. That's actually, sorry, that's something I totally overlooked. With the exception being the Ghost Hawk, there's no aerial component otherwise. No Cobra aircraft. Well, there's the air assault glider. Yeah, but that's, that's, you know, I know I mentioned the exclusives, but I generally try to remove exclusives from this kind of thing. I I don't think it's fair to to consider them always, um, especially if they're pretty much repackaging. Yeah, I don't know. Just Adventure Team Helicopter is a yellow fang. And yeah, the Jungle Terror Twin Battle Gun was really cool in 184 or 83. 83. Um, Very cool. Uh, Aerosol Glider um, looks like fun. 
And the Cobra Flight Pod, I prefer it in white. Give me vanilla for that. I don't need the red canopy. Ram cycle's a ram cycle. That thing's badass at any time of the year. Even though I don't have one and I really want to hook one up. I think we've kind of addressed balance of our chosen years within our figure and vehicle discussions. So we're going to move swiftly along to a discussion of the big ticket item brought in by our respective years or what we consider to be the big ticket item. I know for 1983, it was the introduction of the G.I. Joe headquarters. Mm. Finally, a place for G.I. Joe to occupy, a fort, if you will, and one that had a degree of interactivity that, once again, was something that we saw a lot of in the early years of G.I. Joe and that had kind of petered out by the mid to late 80s. The headquarters could accommodate a Mobat in the one side, a Vamp, or a Polar Battle Bay in the other side, in the other vehicle bay, and a Dragonfly on the landing pad. So you had the opportunity to park and interact with three or more vehicles within that base. It also had space for file cards and all the G.I. Joe equipment released up until that point. So you had a holistic design that incorporated everything that had come before and everything that had been released within the same year. And it's just an absolute gem. It's rendered in a lovely metallic silver gray, has a communications center, a prison, is bristling with weaponry, and once again has the capacity to hold not only the figures, but the vehicles as well. And uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better G.I. Joe base. And in fact, I'd go out on a limb and say, there is no better G.I. Joe base than the 1983 HQ. It wasn't enormous. It was a manageable-sized toy, and could then be broken down further by removing the motor pool sections. But it had everything it could ever need, and just incorporated such a compelling play pattern for your G.I. Joe toys. What's your big ticket item there, Rob? 1986 has several incredible items that I think have become you know, exceptionally popular and are amazing. Like, definitely the Night Raven and the Tumble. I mean, those really go without saying. But I think 1986 has the Cobra equivalent to the G.I. Joe headquarters command center, which is, of course, the Terror Terrodrome. And it just fits in with the whole sci-fi element that I kind of like about this year. It comes with a fire bat and a pilot, and it's like a command center. It's like they're able to protect themselves against airborne stuff, and they can launch little vehicles, refuel them, and fit tons of figures in there. And it just feels busy, especially like if you look at pictures like the back of the packaging. It just looks busy, like so many figures, and they're all ready to like kill people. There's like a mind bender on the top there. There's the pencils helping out, the little knife in his hand. It's... <laughs> It's really cool, and like even you know, and like the, the blueprints are detailed, and they give like really nice ideas about how plausible and, uh, and how amazing and interesting the, the, the spaces that they have. Here. And I think yeah, the Terradrome is definitely a, a big, big ticket item. Like this is like if you want to play with Cobra, you cannot not have this. The fact that it comes with a vehicle included just makes it so much more fun. Yes, a vehicle and a figure, whereas exactly, yeah. The headquarters came with neither. But okay. at least you could park vehicles within its confines, whereas the Terradrome, beyond the firebat feature, which, let's face it, kind of occupies an almost disproportionate amount of space in this base. It's an infantry base. It doesn't have the ability to seal up and contain vehicles. Because you don't have to. This thing can protect itself. It's just cool. You have those vehicles patrolling out there. Or this thing is, is defending itself. 
mm. really effectively with this gigantic gun. It's really bad at protecting itself from rain, though. I think... <laughs> That's why I imagine it has some sort of force field thing going on. <laughs> no, I think it was just really complex for them to try and make a dome over all of that. And really expensive. As a toy, yeah. I think with the headquarters and Terradrome... We see in the in G.I. Joe media a distinct difference between the comic book approach and the cartoon approach. The comic book approach was to use these things as is, with their size limitations taken into account. Sure, there was some creative license taken with the scaling, but for the most part, the pterodromes were actually that size or that scale that the toy was. And the same thing with the HQ, which was a prefabricated fortress, basically, and never thought of as a headquarters, you know, a massive, bustling G.I. Joe headquarters that they all inhabited. Flash forward to the Sunbow cartoon, where these things suddenly became scaled up. There was a pterodrome on Cobra Island that was enormous. And G.I. Joe's headquarters, while much bigger than the 1983 HQ, and certainly expanding upon its aesthetic, it certainly did still bear a strong resemblance to the 1983 HQ. It did have it did have a little bit of that actually. I do yeah, agree. the sort of main turret sticking out of the front and the angled uh, facade. <clears throat> For me, it, it, some guy went and did a really cool artwork of the the Silent Castle, and I always wondered why they never did that as a figure. I always thought that that would be a much cooler place than the Terradrome. Okay, until I'd actually seen the Terradrome um, in terms of scale as a toy, I never thought that they would make toys that big. Um, even when I was a kid, I never thought, oh, they'd make Terradromes that big. Because, I mean, my friends of ours had, I mean, we all had a Castle Grayskull or had a friend that had a Castle Grayskull. And that was pretty diminutive uh, versus the figures and stuff. I mean, you looked at this thing, and you're like, okay, it's not really a place that, you know, you have to fill it up with your imagination. But the Terradrome is a really big piece of plastic. It really is quite huge. I mean, I've seen pictures of the Terradrome next to the Defines. And, you know, it's not a small toy. So they, they did have a lot of space. I do, I, and like I mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, in a previous episode, I do feel a lot of it's wasted. Um, as a toy, they could have done a lot more with it. Um, but I do agree that it's a hot ticket item for this line. I do. I will say that the Raven, for me as a collector, the Raven and the Tomahawk are much bigger items. I'm, I'm more inclined to chase those two down. I've got one already, um, which I did chase down. So, you know, Cobra Terradrome is something that, yeah, it, it must have been the hot ticket item for this time. I mean, I can imagine every kid wanted one for Christmas because it was the biggest box. But I do wish that they had, had, had done a silent castle at one point. Sorry if I'm flying a little bit off topic there, but And on to your year, Paul. I shudder to think, mate. What would you consider to be the the big ticket item of two thousand and ten? For two thousand and ten I have to I have to say like the hot ticket item for this is probably that four by four, that uh, vamp four by four. Rather the modest item, but it is modest. It's not like it's it's not as amazing as say um you know, a pterodrome or a raven or anything. But it is a really decent troop transporter for the line. I mean, for a line that needs it and needs one bad. Like, Hasbro would go on to use it again um, and recolor it, uh, a darker green, and add a different vehicle driver to it. You know, and then would go on to reuse it once again for the retaliation line, this time doing it, I think it's in blue. The Hiss, as much as I love the Hiss, it's a great vehicle. I do recommend everybody gets one. But if I have to choose one vehicle out of this entire uh, lineup of vehicles, it's got to be the Vamp. Because it's a new sculpt. It's something new. The fact that it's got the little holes in the side for the modular weaponry. Some of the Joes, the backpacks. You can actually store the backpacks in because it's the same size hole. So you can store the backpacks on the side of the vehicle so that the Joes can sit inside the vehicle comfortably so that you don't have to put the, the backpack somewhere else. 
It's got a little slot in between the, the seats to store weapons. The back seat's got foot pegs or whatever for somebody to mount that machine gun. And with that little, you know, you can twist the, the Gatling gun feature. It's great. It's got tools that are removable. Removable tools on a vehicle. The Suspension. Driving, yeah, suspension. It's got like this cool functional suspension. It's got a winch. And those are great. And I think this is the hot ticket item because Hasbro has realized that they've redone it a lot. It obviously has sold very well for them to consider it reprinting it. Uh, it's it's a hot ticket not so much in terms of rarity. It's hot ticket in terms of you need it. And you probably need more than one. You need one or two. If you're a modern fan, I can imagine a lot of kids right now between the ages of like eight and maybe 13, probably like if they're G.I. Joe kids and they whatever, I would imagine they have one or two of these and that they bomb these quite a lot and they put as many figures as they can in them like we all did and they drive all over the place. I don't think that they have the same kind of fun with the His Tank because the His Tank's treads are not the easier to play with. And I'm sure the Striker, as cool as it is, it doesn't blow them away. I'm, I'm sure the, the only thing second to this vehicle actually is the repackages of the, the Wolfhound or the, the Snowcat and the Fury. Because those are also damn good toys. And they're old school. <laughs> so in terms of closing remarks, I've spoken a bit about the figures introduced in 1983 and the figures reintroduced from the previous year. That you had your Cobra hierarchy established with Cobra Commander, Destro, Major Blood, the Cobra Officers, and then the Cobra Troopers. And that with these personnel in place you basically had a functioning Cobra organization and didn't need any more other soldiers or any other personnel for that matter. Everything else was a repeat. But, you know, we need to keep uh, creating toys, so they did. And and then on the G.I. Joe front, you had seminal characters like Hawk, like Scarlet, Stalker. Duke was introduced that year as a mail-away. You had the initial Snake Eyes. And then you had second-tier characters, which were almost equally as important, like Wild Bill, like Clutch, characters that peppered the line with with exactly that, a lot of character. Every other later year was trying to ape what had gone before. Yeah, it was redoing the aesthetic. If you were to freeze the G.I. Joe line at 1983, and everything was just a kind of a do-over, that would have been the best encapsulation of what G.I. Joe is about. And that's why, character-wise... 1983 is tops. Vehicle-wise, you've got all your bases covered. You've got a fantastic array of G.I. Joe vehicles that all look legitimate, all have a similar very green aesthetic, and run the gamut from armored vehicles to light scout jeeps to towable weapon systems to programmable automated weapon systems to a fantastic helicopter and an even more fantastic jet. And on the Cobra front, as I say, you might only have three or four different items, but they were the essential items that were the backbone of the Cobra operation. You had the Fang helicopter, the His Tank, and the Snake Armor. And for stealth insertions, you had the Viper Glider as well. Though, uh, truth be told, I don't think I'd ever invest in one of those. 83 must have been a really damn good year, because we wouldn't have G.I. Joe today if it wasn't for the success of 82 and 83. I think 83 cemented G.I. Joe's success as a toy line. Um, More so than 82 did. 82 introduced many kids into G.I. Joe. It swayed a lot of them from Star Wars over into G.I. Joe. Whereas 1986 was the year that things started to wane for G.I. Joe. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what do you say about that, Robbie? No, actually, no. Um, I no, no. That's that's. I'm just like helping Steve along with a joke there. But no, I don't think so. I think I think '86 was was a good middle ground. Actually, I've got to say it's got a good middle ground because something we haven't mentioned is that a lot of us, when we started getting into GI Joe, we started off in '86, '88, or '89's Joes. Closing remark, Robbie. They got it all right in 1983. 
certain ways, but I think by 86, they were just able to produce much more detailed figures. I mean, by now, all the figures look amazing. The accessories that they come with are great and varied. G.I. Joe is well represented. They have a leader. They have a variety of technical troops as well as soldiers. Then Cobra has fantastic basic troop in the Viper and the Bat, and they're, they're well covered. They have a good leadership structure going on there. And just the variety of type of characters, I think, is, is very cool. And you have the Dreadnoughts, which adds just some, that sort of, like, extra spicy flavoring. Okay. Well, I would, I would go on to, like, a Dreadnought very much myself. I'm the, the big Dreadnought fan in the group. Yeah. Yeah. You can hold that torch, buddy. I don't mind. I like the Dreadnought. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I just like that they were starting to try and think of other things. It wasn't just Cobra and Joe. It's like, yeah, that Joe has defied terrorism. You know, let's think of other things. Let's try and attract more people towards the line. Which I think also went into the, the production of the vehicles. They're expanding, they're thinking of new ideas. Yeah, they're still producing very real-world applicable vehicles, you know, as in the Tomahawk and the Raven. But now they're starting to expand and think of other things. Like, how can we go a bit wacky and interesting and just try and draw in more people into this? And I quite like that. I mean, they're still, like, nice play sets, like the Law, the Alpha's Defender, the Cobra's Defender's Port. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, and I think in general it just sort of encompasses everything a kid would want, just sort of science fiction-wise and real-world appeal. And there's a good balance, and it has that huge ticket item of the of the Terradrome, supported by the Tomahawk and the Night Raven. Mm. So everything you want is right in this line right here, and of course, you know, it has a sexual Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Rob, time for some brutal honesty. Would you take Serpento over... be brutally honest. Would you take Serpento over Cobra Commander? Um... Ooh, that's odd sure enough, Robert. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, I sounded just like you. Would you take Dr. Mindbender over Destro? I actually think I probably would, because I think he's, he's a more interesting-looking character. A topless... And he has something interesting going for him. His background is this wacky... And he seems to be... He's a twisted dentist, dude. Yeah, exactly. I mean, With a Charles has, Atlas physique. There's something, there's something there. That he seems, seems more of an evil character than Destro. Yeah, like because him. he's a member of the village people. <laughs> what? There was no dentist in the village people. Yeah, well, I don't know. That handlebar moustache just screams, Young man, are you listening to me? Well, it's not my fault that that's what you see when you look at Handlebar He's wearing purple pants, Matt. I wonder if JoJo.com knows this, but Monkey Wrench in the catalog is holding his nuts. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's, he's got a niche. He's got a scratch. Would oh. you take Lifeline over Doc? I would, actually. I think I would. No offense to Doc. White. I just think Lifeline's a very interesting looking character. Yeah, Lifeline Doc actually is beige. looks really cool. And he looks compelling. That's what's really cool about this year as well. I think everyone looks compelling and interesting. Just their look is distinct and different. Beach and it actually makes you want to play with them. I know. Sci-fi is so like, distinct. Hey, I bought Fox sci-fi. That was my first joke. That, that's where I got hooked into G.I. Joe was sci-fi. So I can't, I'm not going to diss anything here. And Low Light is just so awesome. There's no Low Light in the original line. Low Light's a great new... He's a new inclusion. I understand that Beach Head's kind of a, a, a new stalker. You know, if you will. With a bad attitude. With a bad attitude. And, and um... Leatherneck is gung-ho. Leatherneck is a new gung-ho. Iceberg is snow job. Dalton's a new... Um, breaker. Breaker. 
Mainframe's a new Flash. Uh, Flash. Fla- well, between between Dalton Mainframe and and Sci-Fi, yeah. you've got three characters doing what two characters used to do. Although technically, Sci-Fi wouldn't be the replacement for Flash more uh, more than Mainframe. Mainframe is um, the army recognizing that the future is happening, so now they need the internet and they need an IT guy that can shoot a machine gun. So they got you know Mainframe. I, I approve of that move. Actually, I like Mainframe. I think he's a cool character. Um, well, I like just, mm-hmm. just because something is new doesn't mean it's, it's bad. something else doesn't make it redundant. No, that's true. No, that's true. I mean, like Cobra Vipers. I love Cobra Vipers. I think Cobra Vipers are one of the coolest things ever. Would I choose a Cobra Viper over a Cobra Trooper? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Here's my my summation of what 1986 represents in terms of GI Joe. Where 1986 took an idea from 1983 and basically just updated what they had in 1983, they were successful. Mm -hmm. Where they tried to institute something new is where 1986 fell flat. Case in point, Mindbender. Case in point, Dreadnoughts. And and, and an example of... I mean, these are some of the most popular characters. Oh, and case in point, Serpentor. outlived some of the earlier characters. Uh, Serpentor certainly did not. Yeah, well, and and die, lift, obviously eventually, but as much as I love Lift Ticket and Slipstream, they're no Wild Bill and Ace. No, then that that's true. I have to agree there, but still, I mean Thrasher. I like Thrasher and Strata Viper. They're cool. Anyway, closing remark from you, Paul. What have you got to say about 2010? And you should really be comparing it to other years of its ilk. Um, I think I'd like to. I, I'm glad that 2010, uh, from a technical perspective, is an improvement over what came out in 2007 and 2008, and leading up to 2010. There's a lot of technical improvement in terms of articulation, sculpting, functionality, in terms of the accessories. There's a lot of play feature uh, without it just being shooting missiles. Um, in case in point, Rakondo's uh, very cool like grapple backpack that you could attach bear traps to. Not that I want him to catch a bear. Firefly's opening backpack, which is a first for that line. These are great technical additions to, to the line in the modern line. What would hopefully set a precedent for what would come out later, especially considering uh, the prototypes that we have seen. It's great to see some of the prototype concepts that you know that these guys had come up with, but had never really seen the light of day. That's all Pursuit of Cobra. That's all from that line. That's, you can see it's the same as a breed of design moving forward, and I love that. Uh, so... Yes, I think Pursuit of Cobra is, for me, the way that I'd like G.I. Joe to carry on evolving. And I'd, I'd like to see G.I. Joe move forward. I'd like to, in 20 years' time, maybe we have another discussion like this. Or 15 years' time, maybe we have another discussion like this and we can finally look back at 2011 as being one of the great years for changing the way G.I. Joe's were or would be. Well... Know, if they're still toys in 15 that, years That's an interesting faux pas, Paul, yeah. because... 2011 truly did that. Yes, 2011. 2010 is the year that you uh, are hopping on. I think the biggest flaw in your promotion of 2010 is the fact that 2011 was so stellar. But that's the thing. Let me put it to you this way. 2011 is better than 2010. It is. The figures are better. The low light is amazing. The the Snake Eyes is amazing. The the Steel Brigade guys are awesome. The, the Hawk is awesome. The Chrome Duke is awesome. Chrome-faced Vipers. Chrome-faced Vipers, amazing. That freaking ju- um, Jungle Viper dude. Not Jungle Viper. Shadow Tracker. Shadow Tracker. He's amazing. I love that guy. But then you saw Rock Viper. <laughs> that ruined everything. The Rock Viper is such a piece of shit. But also Destro and the Iron Grenadiers. I mean, these are, wow, these are amazing concepts. But I think that this all came along because people lapped up 
the Pursuit of Cobra line. This Pursuit of Cobra line came up, everybody's like, oh my word, and they started troop building Jungle Vipers, and they started going quite crazy for it, and buying up the line, and Hasbro felt like this little bit of confidence, and they were like, yes, let's go forward with Pursuit of Cobra, and then they released Pursuit of Cobra, and everybody's like, oh wow, Hasbro, you're so amazing, okay, we'll forgive you for the Rock Viper, and for the Ryu Hayabusa-looking Storm Shadow, which in, in theory is actually a cool idea, but just came out badly, and then they released this cool, like, Dreadnoughts battle set, and stuff, and, and then we've got, like, the 30th anniversary stuff, which looks amazing. It's like truly, truly amazing. We've got the figures from uh, Renegades. We've got a, a great Storm Shadow, possibly the best Storm Shadow. Everything. We've got this fantastically well-rounded line, and then it gets followed by Retaliation. I'm wondering, what the fuck? Sorry. So that's why I feel 2010 is sort of the genesis. Uh, 2011 is the highlight, high point of that, and I'm hoping that it skips 2012 and that 2013 looks as good as 2010 and 2011 did. Because one fading point to 2011... Um, that does bug me quite a bit. It had oaked me. With the exception of Low Light, Hawk, that Snake Eyes, the Jungle Viper, the Iron Grenadiers, and Destro. Uh, uh, Destro, the Vipers and the Troopers, a lot of the figures were very underwhelming in terms of their gear. Especially as we got more into the Renegades line. We saw less and less gear. Uh, a lot of stuff that was originally promised to us was removed, which is irritating. Um, you know, so... that's talking about of... the Slaughter's Marauders. No, 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 no. Not Slaughter's Marauders. I'm talking about, like, how Tunnel Rats was meant to come with more gear for this line. The Resolute Tunnel Rats. Um, mm. There's just a few things. I mean, I, I don't miss them as much now because I can't really remember what they were. But, I mean, there was a lot more gear that was promised with some of the uh, Renegades figures that never sort of, like, surfaced. Also, 2011 gave us, a, I think, a very cool Cobra Commander in the form of the Renegades Cobra Commander, which I like, I've always liked. Oh, dear. You're alone on that one, I'm afraid. Yeah, I know, but... I dig him. I think he's a great figure. I like Serana. I finally have a Serana in my collection, and I'm a big Dreadnought fan, as mentioned in the show, so having the Dreadnoughts pack this time as well was pretty cool. I like Zanya, even though I don't really care about a character. I don't care about Burnout, but he's a great toy. And my only major thing with this was Norgahide. But anyway, closing comments is, I think 2010 was a good turning point for Joe, and I'd like G.I. Joe to carry on going in the direction that 2010 set up, not what 2012 has set up. You can record a closing, uh, I just go for it. To, to mention, um, I don't know if you guys saw this online, but um, apparently the Children's Museum of Indianapolis mm-hmm. did a online survey on mm-hmm. their website. Oh, I think I know what this is, yeah. To choose, uh, to choose the top toys that define our childhood. And G.I. Joe came first. Yeah, hell yeah. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. That's so amazing. terrific. Over 24,000 votes were cast on the website, and G.I. Joe came first. Yeah, you see, that's the thing. Hasbro's got something that's golden there, and I just hope that they don't mess it up. <laughs> Greatest. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I mean, second was Transformers, and third Lego. Those are just like the best types of toys you have out there, and of course, Jojo came on top. That's pretty cool. Even above Lego, that's actually quite quite a statement. I'd love love to see how that same survey does internationally. Was it by a narrow margin? Um, they didn't release the exact results for everything, but I mean. G.I. Joe did come out tops. Beating Transformers and Lego. Yeah, and Lego and Barbie. Friends, conclusively, the greatest toy line ever. And that's why at 11 o'clock on a Sunday evening, three friends get together. And talk shit about small plastic toys. Amen. Amen. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. All right. Thanks, listeners, for your time. I hope you've enjoyed this unpacking of our favorite G.I. Joe years. If you would like to comment on this podcast, we'd be very, very interested to hear what you have to say about 
maybe which uh, one of the years under consideration rang true for you, or alternatively, which was your favorite year. I mean, we're talking about over 30 years of G.I. Joe, perhaps even more if you want to invoke the uh, legendary 12-inch figures. <laughs> so let us know, and we'll be sure to address it in a future episode. And there's trouble for G.I. Joe. You gotta get out, not G.I. Joe. Copters waiting, time to go. Gotta rescue G.I. Joe.